In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. Your hosts today are His Excellency Bishop Joseph Edward Strickland, the Bishop of the Diocese of Tyler and the founder of the St. Philip Institute, and myself, Stacy Tresenkos, the Executive Director of the Institute. In today's episode, Bishop Strickland and I are discussing the theme of the 2020 Bishop's Annual Appeal. It was called Faith Within the Family. This theme gets to the root of how a diocese can serve the community it is in. Living our faith within our families means we have to sometimes evangelize out into the secular world and we have to strive to forge our most intimate relationships successfully. As Bishop Strickland put it once, a diocese should be in the work of building civilization. And so when we're talking about faith within the family, we're getting down to the, the real meaning of what it means to be a diocese and why it's important that the diocese should grow. So the first question we, we're gonna explore is definitions. What is a family? Can you say more about that? What is a family and what you intended with the, this theme? Well, certainly from the Judeo-Christian perspective, a family is defined in the book of Genesis. God made them male and female, and that male and female, the woman and the man, become one in marriage. And out of that, according to God's will, grow the children in that marriage, whether a few or many children, that is a family. Um, and certainly, with respect for the, the diverse ways that that is expressed in the world, we certainly respect that. And an individual person, uh, a single person living alone, is still part of family in God's plan. Um, but there are models that depart so significantly away from that basic model of family that it begins to redefine what family is. And as Catholics, as Christians, rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition, I would say we have to be very careful about tinkering with the definition of family to always begin with a man and a woman committed in marriage. That is where family begins. And that is family. Mm -hmm. For the childless couple, they should never feel somehow less than or second class. If God has not 
given them children and they've been open to children, but that simply hasn't happened. Sometimes that's the case. A childless couple, a man and a woman committed in marriage is family. A man and a woman who are able to have only one child is family. A man and a woman who adopt a child or more than one is family. So there are, of course, many different ways that it is appropriately expressed that isn't exactly what you might say is the, the model of family. It's not a certain number of children. It's openness to children. And I've, as pastorally, I've often had to encourage mm-hmm. couples in marriage formation to understand that, that the church in her canon law says in order to marry, mm-hmm. you have to be open to children. And sometimes people interpret that, so, well, I'm, I may not be able to have children. I'm not sure or whatever. Um the, the, the issue is being open to children, and mm-hmm. I think that's, that's very significant for what is a family. It's a man and a woman in a commitment of marriage who are open to children, and you can say more broadly, open to the will of God, open yeah. to God's plan. And I think that especially in our culture, within the church and outside the church, there are many that want to to kind of challenge that or question and sort of say, we're going to create family the way we want it, regardless of God's plan. Mm-hmm. And for a couple who has no children to use some of the artificial means yep. to say, we're going to have children, is that really God's plan? Is that really faithful to family? And I know even just saying that, there would be many who would start to bristle. But Mm -hmm. I think we need to be very careful that we don't artificially do what we want instead of being open Mm -hmm. to the will of God. Of course, going beyond just that basic model of family, for us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ and the Catholic tradition, the Holy Family is a great model yeah. of how does how is this lived out and Mary and Joseph are a family in that sense with some unique aspects of that family but the key that the blessed virgin mary and saint joseph offer mm-hmm. us is open to the will of god right. and that humility that openness is what all of us are called to. If a man and a woman open to the will of God come together in marriage, that is very richly a family. Whatever else may happen, that is where family begins. And I think that definition is something we need to joyfully Mm -hmm. and beautifully proclaim to our culture, Um, not in any way denigrating other single-parent homes, not through their own choice, but through circumstances, are single-parent homes. They can certainly be part of the definition of family. And it, it comes down to that traditional coming together of a man and woman and open to the will of God and remaining open to the will of God, whatever may come down the road with how life unfolds, 
through tragedy, through unexpected happenstance, through all kinds of things, that family can change shapes. But the openness to God's will is foundational. Yeah. And and I was thinking why you said that, the the scripture that says two become one, that's what the two become. The two become one unit that are open to God's will. And you have to have God's will in in that mix to unite you properly. Otherwise, you don't know what you're aiming for. You're just two coming together and doing whatever you want to do and going apart when you want to. But that two becoming one, you know, I like definitions. And so in, as I was trying to sort that out in my own context of family, like one what? You know, it's similar to three persons, one God, a family is is two persons, one family, and and what naturally flows from that attitude, being open to the will of God, is that when you get the gift of a child, however it comes to you, you accept that gift, but you don't go play God and take that gift for yourself if it wasn't meant to be. You know that's where prayer and discernment come in, but you're always open to that will of God. I always just think of it as this purpose in life you know where you're going you you're not quite sure how it's going to manifest or express itself but you know what the end game is you are open to the will of God with this other person that you've become one with you retain your own identity but you become one with the other person and then when children are born of that it's beautiful and if you are called to adopt it's beautiful or if you are called not to have children of your own biology but to serve children in the community in another way it's beautiful because that's what God wanted you to do and then I think that helps too when there is pain and suffering because that's the thing about being human the closer you get to someone else the more <laughs> vulnerable you are and likely to suffer um, and to remember that, that even in the day, if you can't quite see in front of you where you're supposed to be going, that grace, being open to the will of God, gets you sometimes able just to see a few feet in front of you. But you can see enough to know what the next step is to do in your life because you know that unity, will of God, love is the ultimate goal. And as a mother of seven, that gets me through a lot of days. <laughs> You know, not not exactly knowing where all this is going, but I know what my driving purpose is in life. Love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about a definition of family in maybe more poetic terms or less kind of structural terms, just thinking about myself, what is a family? How do you define <laughs> a family? I think one way to look at it, and there are probably many different ways you can look at family, but... To me, family is where you laugh the hardest and you cry the loudest. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's where the emotions are really most powerful. Yep. I mean, I'm, I can speak for myself. <laughs> when it comes to family, it, I can tear up with family mm -hmm. things that, you know, you might show some concern or whatever, but it's just different. Mm -hmm. And and the laughter also. Some of the, the greatest laughter that I experience is remembering and, and being with family and talking about past experiences. Yes. And so families are that God-given incubator of the greatest joys and the greatest sorrows in the sense that those are where we really impact life. And I think that's a good definition of family also mm -hmm. because 
in you know in many cultures and in many circumstances it's la familia you yes. know that <laughs> will do anything for family mm-hmm. that you won't do for even the dearest friend and so i think that that is bound up in the whole definition of family also that closeness and it it is that closeness that unity that that causes the joy and the sorrow it's it's that raw feeling both ways um the you know the catholics often say that the family is a shadow or an echo of the holy trinity but that is so powerful in thinking about i mean it's not just theology that's on the shelf that we don't use in daily life that is a powerful thing to understand about your own families especially when there are those sorrows and especially when there are the joys because you you remember to notice them and to be thankful for the joys but even in the sorrows no, I, I, the way it was said to me, it's not my thought, but the way it was said to me that just is something I held on to, I hold on to every day, that in understanding the theology of the Holy Trinity, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God, but three persons, and that their persons are their relationships, the Father generating the Son and an act of the intellect and knowing, and knowing so perfectly that it generated another person, but and they're united so perfectly that they're one God, but they're still two distinct persons. And then the Father and the Son together, spirating forth in love, the Holy Spirit. And that that word um, circumcision, that means that the Holy Trinity is this uh, this flowing of life and love, this eternally flowing of life and love. And when you understand, that's what the ideal. That is what the definition, the objective truth of because we say what is truth truth is god that is the objective truth of what a family is it's it's two becoming one so perfectly that that you're striving to be like the holy trinity so perfectly united but knowing at the same time you're not god and you can never be that perfectly united and which means there will be pain that's where you know i the older i get the more i think about it the more i'm convinced this is kind of core to being human the closer you get to someone the more you can get hurt the more things are going to hurt and it helps just to realize that to say that's because we're made in the image and likeness of the triune god and it is going to hurt but you don't have to fear because i think this is a big thing in our societies today you don't have to fear being close to someone there's a lot of kids who experience trauma who go on to be unable to form relationships and they have trouble with that and they don't get married because of that because they're afraid to and they can't form healthy relationships because they've been hurt that hurt comes from that bond being damaged that the bond if you keep going back it's it's the bond between the husband and wife that maybe wasn't there and then the child was born out of a broken relationship and so there's brokenness with that child and the child's relationship with its parents and the child grows up broken, and the child then doesn't learn. And if you just keep propagating that through generations, it's not hard to see why there's so much pain in the world. And it sounds weird or backwards to say the cure is to get closer to the ones you love and don't be afraid of the pain. It will be there, and it will hurt, but the cure is to be united with Christ and understand that you're striving for that great joy, and you will find it. I've, you know, all families suffer, my family suffers, but part of suffering also makes me, I'm not afraid of the suffering anymore, but it also makes me really happy when something good happens, you know, just going to dinner 
having a happy moment, um, you learn to embrace those joys and not be afraid of that closeness. Uh You touch on something that I think is bound up in the definition of family as well, is that that ultimately is where we find happiness. It's not in wealth. It's not in power and not in position. It's not in anything the world can offer, really. It's in that relationship where the simplest things, as you're mentioning, just having a meal together. You didn't mention the fabulous feast Mm -hmm. of what the food is, but it's the meal together that is the, the component of family. And... And I guess I, as we're talking, I continue to go back to that idea that it is, you could say, a community of people, mm-hmm. starting with a man and a woman, mm-hmm. one man, one woman committed in marriage, but that community seeking the will of God. Yeah. Um, that's what the community of the Trinity yeah. does. That's the, what the community of the Holy Family, Joseph and Mary, fully open to the will of God, and nurturing God incarnate mm-hmm. in their household. I think that idea of openness to the will of God comes down to the most intimate aspects of life and relationship and family. And what occurs to me, especially as I really focus on St. Joseph during this Lenten mm-hmm. season, um, he's a mystery man in a lot of ways. How is he manly and fully the model of man, and he's completely chaste because that was God's will. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so essential to men and to women in this oversex culture that in many ways sex has been taken out of family yeah. and it's been put on billboards mm-hmm. and placed out in the marketplace in so many different ways. And the whole idea of chastity that all of us are called to embrace, certainly for myself as a celibate priest, but for you as a married woman Mm -hmm. or for the unmarried person, chastity is essential. Mm -hmm. And chastity comes down to, in a very male and female way, for males and females, chastity comes down to not my will but thy will. Mm -hmm. And so many things in our culture, between couples or individually or all the different aberrations of human life that are what we deal with in our culture, comes down to forgetting that in that most intimate way, our happiness is in seeking what is God's will for me and how my body is disposed at this moment and how I interact with another person. That is left so far off the list of concerns for even very committed Mm -hmm. Christian Catholic families um, that it's almost a foregone conclusion that God's plan and the real meaning of life is going to get distorted when we're that far from God's will and that far from a healthy understanding of what it means to be chaste. And in many ways, chastity is giving over your your most intimate self to the will of God and to what is God's plan for this moment or for this series of choices. And 
I think we have to, for the sake of the individual family, for the family of God throughout the world, we've got to recover that idea of, of a chaste mind and heart is primarily one always seeking the will of God. And that is what the saints, and especially Mary and Joseph, mm-hmm. really model for us. Yeah. The Holy Family. It is, you know, I think about chastity a lot in, in the context of family. And it, it, it sometimes, um, well, people ask, well, people ask me this, but I think it anyway. What, what does, how does the teaching of the Catholic Church help you with raising your children? Like, how do you make those connections? And, you know, it's no secret that my 16-year-old daughter just had a baby out of wedlock. But the teaching of the Catholic Church helped there because I was able to say, this is how it's supposed to be. And this is why it hurts so much. And this is why, you know, society doesn't know what to do about that. And this is why it seems like a tragedy. But this is how you go beyond it. You, in your situation, say, what is the will of God? The will of God is that children are loved unconditionally from the first moment they exist. We're here. Let's go with that. Go to confession, and let's go forward with that, and, and let that guide your everything you do from now on. Without that, people get so lost. They don't understand that all children should be born of the love of mother and father, that it it's broke something's broken when that happens and having that teaching gives you the ideal to hold up there and even if you're not achieving that ideal I mean I'm a married woman with seven kids we don't achieve that ideal in daily life very often there's fighting and discord but we know what the ideal is the holy family the holy trinity and that helps guide the things you do when you're coming in in that the valley of tears, I think of it, when you're trying to get through daily life and do the right thing with the people in your relationships around you, which can get complicated when you have a large family, because there's so many relationships. It helps you figure out what you need to do with that person in the moment, the person in front of you, because you understand that you're trying to get that unity, that there needs to be love for the child. There needs to be um, consideration for, you know, how the child's going to be part of a family. In our family, what it's meant is my daughter understands what got broken, but she understands the priority now. She's reoriented all her priorities. And then what it allowed us to do as a family is to surround her with the rest of our family and make sure that that baby is born into the love of a family because we can surround her and make sure that it's there. And, you know, I know that's a very scary thing for a lot of people, which is why I talk about it. I'm proud that my daughter has risen to that challenge and and is doing what she's doing now. But that scares people. People get really scared to think of that. And that's the point of having family is to understand what the goal is because it allows you as a mother or father to know what to say in the moment because you can say this is where we're going and those are healing words that get you through those times and you can look back so many people have come to us and said we were in that situation but we were open to the will of god and we we turned it into good and you know that's that's something catholic parents are very afraid of but that's why the teachings of the church are important yeah i think that um so many 
in the culture would would look at the the Catholic Church and what we teach and what we believe and and see it as out of sync and antiquated mm -hmm. and just not in tune with what's going on. But what occurs to me as you're describing your own experience with your own family is that every family has an issue of one kind or another, many times multiple issues mm -hmm. of really not perfectly corresponding with the will of God. Mm -hmm. Family is the place to go when we recognize that. Yeah. And so many times, tragically, because families are broken and the family of God's people in the world is broken, very often more alienation. Mm -hmm. People walk further from the will of God rather than going back to family and to that prototype, that mm -hmm. model where it's not perfect because it's a, it is always a community of sinful people, except with the Holy Family. Um, and even St. Joseph wasn't sinless, only Jesus and Mary through the power <laughs> of the Holy Spirit. St. Yes. Joseph was a very holy man, but he's not in tradition said to be a sinless man. Um, and most families, or all families, have to struggle through not being the model. Yeah. Um, I remember as a kid, six kids in my family, and in the early years, I thought of us as the model family <laughs> because I was a kid, and I'm sure my parents would say, well, we've got this <laughs> issue or that issue, but as a kid, it was utopian for me. And, and I remember when I first came to realize through struggles of my older siblings and, and issues that arose that we weren't the model family after all. I think that's that's kind of what you're talking about mm -hmm. is acknowledging that no we we're not the perfect yeah. model but there is a perfect model yes. and I think that's where even in the beginning when we talked about having a model or a definition of family I think it's off-putting to a lot of people yes. because they think well you know they think we have to be perfect dogma so <laughs> it's it's we we can't live up to that measure of course, we're all right. broken. We all fail in various areas. And if we think we're there, we're probably failing in more yes. significant right. ways. Because we have to recognize we're not there. But yeah. to abandon the model that God has given us, which I think is a lot of what is hurting in our yeah. culture today, to abandon the model is abandoning the truth and abandoning the will of God. The gospel has Jesus say very clearly, you must be perfect mm -hmm. as my heavenly Father is perfect. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. We strive it's, for it's it. It's beyond us. Yes. But to me, that gets to the family must be perfect mm -hmm. as the Trinity is perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not scripture, but that's another way of understanding mm -hmm. what Christ is telling us. And we can say, that's impossible. You're right. It's impossible. But all things are possible with God. And it's striving for that model is where we, we come to be nurtured in the love of the family and where you and your daughter and your husband and your other children can, can truly create a place where, mm -hmm. no, life took a path that wasn't yeah. exactly God's will. But we can always return to. Yes. And that's the beauty of the mercy of Christ mm -hmm. that he suffered and died to share with us 
we can always start over. We can always reboot mm -hmm. the family and and strive again and learn from. And that's part of the the bittersweet of a few weeks ago. We had the the celebration with married couples around mm -hmm. World Marriage Day, celebrating anniversaries. The longest married was 75 years. Amazing. And what is woven into those 75 years <laughs> or five years or 30 years or however long a couple has been married is all the joys and sorrows of the little ways that God's will wasn't perfectly followed today, mm -hmm. but we have a place to go. We have a model to strive for and a loving God who is mercifully always, instead of closing the door when we fail, opening his heart of love to help us once again seek the model and to know that in the mystery of his plan, one day we will be in that perfect model of yeah. love in perfect yeah. union with God. Yeah, because that's the goal. That's what we're after in all the life. I mean, you can't say to your children that you, thinking about pro-life issues, we, and that's, that's one way I say it when we're talking about abortion or contraception or any of that. You ha all children deserve to be loved unconditionally from the first moment they exist. And that, that is Trinitarian saying that, that child is born of a mother and father and it deserves, the child he or she deserves to be loved unconditionally from the first moment of existence. And when you start there, everything else flows from that. I mean, you can't, you can't get up, you, if you're going to say that to your child about, you know, an early embryo, you have to be willing to love your child unconditionally as well at any other stage in life. And and if, but, it, but having that guiding principle about love from the Trinity being united, when you start with that, you can easily derive the logic. If you, you know, if you want to talk to kids about it or teens or young adults, you can easily derive the logic from there. You don't kill an innocent person because that's not loving. You don't create them in the lab out of the natural marital embrace because that's not loving. You don't kill them for any reason. You don't um, t use them as, as, test subjects and experiments like embryos are used you know it just resets that whole thing and I find that powerful when I'm talking to the secular communities about abortion and contraception and in vitro fertilization and embryonic research and fetal tissues used in research I find that useful because I can at least say I start here and I, I don't just start love children unconditionally I start with God the Father Son and Holy Spirit and go from there and say this is you know this is how the whole thing fits together and maybe you didn't understand all of that i'm saying to the secular world but i can show you how it all fits together and therefore when i say contraception is immoral i'm building all that into my statement um but it's it's a it's it's a powerful thing and that that is we can have episodes on how that got society off of the track, like you said before, that so many people don't look at the family that way, and that there's so much brokenness. It's almost overwhelming to think about bringing, you know, nuclear war is one thing, but bringing a child into the world today with all of that brokenness. I remember when, when uh, I was having babies, people were like, don't bring another child into the world. There's going to be a nuclear war someday. You shouldn't bring kids. I'm thinking now, like, the brokenness might scare people about bringing children into the world, knowing you're going to have to navigate really difficult relationships 
in the, all these cultural issues we deal with. Um, but do bring your children into the world and know that you have the teaching of the Catholic Church to help guide you through it. Uh, and that place where the faith is lived out in yes. the, the context in the of a family. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's challenging. I mean, you know, you know, your own family and in the challenges of seven children and a wife and husband. And, you know, it's it's never the perfect day. It's never a day without issues. And I think um, if we look at the challenges of living the faith, uh, I like to just think about the, the very down-to-earth realities there. Um, one of the things that I think is a great challenge that I see, of course, you know, I'm the celibate man who has control over his calendar, more or less. <laughs> um, but I know that as a mother, yeah. there are many demands on your time. I mean, we were talking as we began about you know, your cell phone and, and how it's a communication device yes. to, to be a mother and yes. to take care of your children. I think one of the, the great challenges, and I, I'd love to hear your comments on it because you're on the ground. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of observing. But I think the, one of the great challenges of living the faith in just very basic down-to-earth terms is the time. Mm-hmm. It takes time out of a Sunday. Yeah. And more than, you know, even if you just narrow it down to, okay, Mass was Sunday Mass took an hour or maybe a little longer mm-hmm. if you know the priest talked too long or the music got carried away or whatever. But then it takes a little while to get there, and probably I know thinking about my own family growing up, it, it was a bit of a project to get yes. everybody ready. And so, if you go to Mass at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. You're pretty much occupying the morning the whole day. with getting there, being there, and then returning from mm-hmm. Mass. And that's a chunk of time that a lot of families just can't manage, mm-hmm. even giving that much yeah. time. And, and I, I think that beyond that, I mean, all the ideals that you hear about, oh, praying the rosary and family prayer time and, and discussion and all the things, it's, I, I can imagine that a lot of families, one of the great challenges they face is finding the time. Yeah. And speaking from my own experience, even I think the, the model that a lot of people have of, of a priest is like, well, I didn't do much except <laughs> on Sunday. And so... All he does is have time to pray. Yeah. Um, and I think as I read and pray and, and try to spend time, especially before the Blessed Sacrament, before the actual real presence of Christ, he's there, just like your husband or your kids are there around the dining room mm-hmm. table. The Lord is present yes. there in adoration. And we need some of that mm-hmm. to just be with each other. Yes, and in what I see with families, as busy as things are, even little toddlers already have a schedule, things are busy. Um, and I think that that's one of the great challenges. And rather than, you know, certainly from my perspective, uh, I want, I always try to be careful about 
telling families what they need to do because I'm not on the ground with them. Mm -hmm. But I think that we can help them understand that one of the great challenges is is managing the time and yeah. finding the time and especially I'm, I'm sure you can speak to because you have several teenagers in the home i mean toddlers are busy enough but teenagers have full lives can drive and sometimes <laughs> they don't overlap with each right. other too well so yeah. you might talk a little bit we, about the greatest challenges well, i don't know if it is time but i think that's one of them it it is and you know my husband whose name is jose so joseph my joseph um he said you know he he was a cradle catholic and he was the one who led me into the catholic church went with me to all our rcia classes and um we celebrated the sacrament of baptism for our third child the same day we celebrated sacrament of matrimony and my first holy communion but he said as we were raising our family we have to be at mass together now it's not a requirement of the catholic church that mother father and all the kids come together because i know some families split that up the father will take some and the mother will take some or they'll take turns going alone so they can actually pray <laughs> but but he wished it to be that way he it meant a lot to him and being open to the will of God, you know, I decided that if my husband wishes us all to go to church together as a family, you, you can't, I'm going to do that. I'm going to assume that's God saying do that. And so for our family, that's what we did. <clears throat> and we have, we made it a priority because <clears throat> you, you have to bring them to the real presence of Christ. You have to get your family there. So it became a just being I'm, I like to say I'm logical but I mean it sometimes it's bad because I'm a little too much but it had to make sense it made sense because if you're going to heal your relationships in your family if I want to make sure my children are brought up right then I have to heal my relationship with Christ because that's the relationship that I need to heal before I can make any of my other relationships good I need to heal my relationship with the Holy Trinity and with the second person incarnate before I can understand how to heal my human relationships. And so to me, that said, okay, go, you, you have to bring your children to the real presence of Christ. You have to bring your children to Mass. And my husband wants us to go as a family, and we did. And, you know, this is the blessing that comes being married for so long and looking back over things, the memories. Because we did that, our children, they can fight. They can have discord. They can really not like each other some days but we have always expected them to be in mass with us on sunday and they are they are i mean my, my daughter that little four-day-old baby has a spot on its forehead because she took took her to um to ash wednesday yesterday and they will do it they will come to see they will feel that unity they will come your children will come to know that you're united at church you're united before the blessed sacrament you're united at mass and you're there as a family and it's kind of like it's a lot of work getting to mass and it's a it takes most it's like the whole day but it's the time when we put everything else aside and in that timeless moment at the consecration we're all there kneeling together and whatever problems we've had we've always gone back to that you know, and I, I'm I'm honest about that. We have never said we're not going to mass. We've always gone. 
um, even when we didn't feel like it. Um, but that that is the blessing. And I've you know I told my children, I don't know whether it'll actually happen or not, but I hope that that's how I envision. You know, if I could have the death I want, it would be that on my deathbed. Um, after receiving last rites, that I would be surrounded by all my children, you know. So they've kind of been told they have to be there. <laughs> That's what mom wants. But I would be surrounded by them and my husband, if he's still alive, and be surrounded by them. And I think I you know I can picture that being the way to depart from this world. That you know whether it actually happens or not, it's that ideal. Yeah. You know, I I I feel that that would be so right. As you talk about um, being as a family before the the presence of Christ, the the Blessed Sacrament, and, and celebrating the Mass together, it uh, it occurs to me to kind of going back to that idea of the model family. Mm-hmm. Christ is the model human. Yeah. Um, he is the God Man, and and I think we really, uh, as Catholics and as a Catholic bishop, I I think we all need to really deepen and and really embrace the reality of the Eucharist, that the model of who we are called to be is physically and really present Mm -hmm. in a mysterious way where it appears, all the appearances are bread and wine still, but he is there. Um, And adoration is, is a great way to do that, but certainly in many ways, the greatest adoration is the Mass itself, to hear God's Word proclaimed and then to welcome the incarnate Word. It's it's interesting, as I study the liturgy, there's an element um, in Latin that actually uses the word for welcoming Christ when right after the consecration. Mm. And it's a little bit different in English, and it, it, it's harder to, to convey that in, in English. But it's a beautiful idea that we rejoice in welcoming yeah. the, the Lord of the universe once again present on that altar. And I, and I guess it occurs to me that really, as we talk about the challenges of, of living the faith as a family, they parallel the challenges of living the faith as individuals. Mm-hmm. And the great blessing that family brings is that there are other people that mm-hmm. have that unconditional love mm-hmm. in the sense that the only condition is God's will. The only condition that really is always redirecting that mm-hmm. family is are we about the will of God? Are we seeking that divine will which is ultimately our fulfillment and i i think that's where a lot of families sort of break down in the challenge of faith because they are unable um because the church hasn't provided it to them or for whatever the human circumstances they're unable to see their situation in that context and remain Mm -hmm. with the family instead of going off into a, a separate direction because it it's almost like the prodigal son. Right. It's like they couldn't love me anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I think families do that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like God couldn't love our family any longer because we're too far from the model. Mm-hmm. And I think the, 
that to go back into his presence is all about reminding us, I mean, if we really are tuned, attuned to the presence of Christ, I mean, one of the, the Latin phrases that is constantly resonating for me that's part of the Mass also, Domine non sum dignus, which means, and we say it in English at every Mass, Lord, I am not worthy. And we all know that, we all feel that, and yet our merciful Lord is beckoning to us in the midst of that. We're not worthy. And no family is worthy. No family is ultimately, you scratch the surface Perfect. a bit, and sometimes you don't have to scratch the surface. Mm -hmm. It's right out there in front of everyone. But once you get to the real, the reality of that family, you find that, yes, it's got its imperfections. There are flaws because it's made up of flawed human beings. But once again, to go to the model that Christ offers us individually and the model that God offers to the family um, is, is that constant healing of the broken reality mm -hmm. that we all face. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm not the first, I know I'm not the first person to think this, but I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've had this thought running around in my head thinking about all this stuff. I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason for hope that restaurants are one of the biggest businesses <laughs> in our culture, because you know, and, and part of I'm saying that partly because I've learned as I've gotten older too, with my older kids and my marriage being you know so many years behind us now, and even with my relationship with my parents, because I'm getting older, my parents are getting older. You know, I'm in my 50s; they're in their 70s, and. I'm starting to realize that life is on the other side now. It's coming to the other end. And you're thinking about what's most important to you. And there's a trick I've learned as this matriarch of my little family that if I want to heal a relationship with a member of the family, I just invite them to lunch or dinner or something. And I know that's like a duh, but I think there's something very Trinitarian about having the meal together. You know, it's it's like we do at the Mass, it's communion. Um, but I've seen that, and I guess I'm just sharing this in case other people have had the same thought. I've thought it too. There's a lot of healing in just saying to someone that you may be having discord with, maybe your relationship's not quite right. Instead of running away from it, like you were saying people do, turn back to that relationship and pray and ask God to help you understand. But don't be afraid to say to that person, you know what, could we have lunch together? Could I just take you to lunch? There's nothing I need to talk about. I just want to spend time with you. Because when you're sitting down eating, you, you have to face each other. You have to talk. And I have been doing that more and more, just, you know, spending the money on going to dinner somewhere or cooking. It's kind of hard to do that in my house with kids everywhere. But going to have a meal with someone and just creating that space where you are getting to know them so you can love them that's trinitarian knowing and loving and and you start to bond your souls that way and i've actually seen that one little thing start to heal so many big nasty things that could go the wrong way mm -hmm. just having a meal together and restaurants make it so easy because it's beautiful <laughs> the meals cooked and they really put the focus on the relationship <laughs> that's a that's a great uh, image, and what occurs to me as you're talking is 
They knew him in the breaking of the bread. And it's almost as if, I think a great way for families to think about um, going to Mass is that the Lord has invited them to a meal of reconciliation, Mm -hmm. a meal of mercy, Mm -hmm. a meal of breaking bread together so that the brokenness can be brought into that and I mean, the bread is broken mm-hmm. at Mass. I mean, that is mm-hmm. the reality that it literally is broken, broken. and that's what happened when Christ instituted yeah. his body and blood as the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. He took bread and broke it. Yeah. And I think that resonates with everyone. I mean, we even see, speak in, in more secular ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to break bread together. Right. And But I think that to really what occurs to me as you're speaking is to really promote the idea with our own families and with the family of the church that Sunday Mass is the invitation of the Lord to come and share a meal. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, there's a mystery there of human reconciliation that is woven into past the potatoes and and just sharing a meal together, and it gives it you... Typically, if you think about a meal, you you would say this is very odd mm-hmm. if if a meal took place and people are all facing no other way. directions. Mm-hmm. That's not a meal. Mm-mm. We would say, well, they're maybe eating in the same room, yep. but they're not having a meal together. And that even it brings up in my mind the, you know, I think probably a lot of families and not to beat up on a family but to to just be aware if you're eating supper if you do sit down to eat supper as a family at home and you're all watching tv it's probably kind of not a meal (laughs) it's feeding feeding (laughs) but it's it's not a meal and I, i think we need to pay attention to that i know many people talk about and sort of um lament the lack of of family time, Mm -hmm. sitting down around the table and being at home uh, eating a meal. But um, I think that there is a great mystery in that idea of the Lord is present in the breaking of the bread. Certainly that is primarily in the the Eucharist in our Catholic faith, but the Lord is present everywhere. And he's the one that's going to heal that relationship as, as both Mm-hmm. the daughter and son or the daughter and the father or whatever the combination mm-hmm. of fractured, broken yeah. feelings, broken relationship, it's the Lord who's going to bring that healing mm-hmm. and to welcome him there in the context of the yeah. family meal is is a beautiful echo of what the Lord does at the Mass. At the mass. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. You know, I, I, I hope that, and I, I think it's true that it happens. <coughs> that if my kids grow up, and you know, two of them are already grown, and we are in communion. I'm not kidding. By cell phones, because you know they live in other states. My daughter lives in Massachusetts. My son's in the Navy. So we, we communicate. You know, I. I was intentional about that too, just thinking about how to heal the relationships. As they get older, how does my relationship with them change? I'm their mother, they don't need me in the same ways, but they still have their problems. 
I want to be available to them. I want to be um, vulnerable and close with them. I want to be able to reflect on their childhood, and if they say something hurt, I want to be confident enough in the healing process to say, we can talk about it and, and you know, discuss what hurt you that I, that I may have done that we can, I can apologize for and we can get past that. And there's so much healing in that. And I, I, you know, I've been, I, I talk to my older children on the phone or text or send pictures, and I do that because I'm just trying to keep that bond there. And I go and see them. I know a lot of parents go and see their kids. Um, but yeah, appreciate the significance of that time together around the table. I know a lot of people say, well, we don't have meals together as a family. I think that's why, I think that's part of what got broken. Um, it, which is to say also take, take your families to mass. If you have to split up or whatever, you have to get your kids to mass to have that experience. I do hope that if my younger children grow up, who've grown up going to Mass all their lives, because I converted after the first two, and so my five youngest children have gone to Mass all their lives, I really feel like if the day ever comes when they decide to stop going because it's their decision, that they'll miss that unity that they felt there, and that's what will help draw them back. Yeah. And yeah. it does, I think, a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. Well... We are coming to the end of the episode, and we, we always like to um, emphasize one thing that you can take away from the discussion here if you're listening to the whole hour. It is that the Holy Family, or that the family, the Holy Family is a direct flow from the Holy Trinity, but all our families are a reflection of the Holy Trinity. And that's not just saying you ought to be this, you ought to be that. It's saying if you want to find happiness and healing and belonging that we all strive yearn for it is within understanding that you need to heal the relationships in your family have faith within the family absolutely <laughs> um at the saint philip institute um we do produce a lot of materials to this end i mean sort of the way that we fit together, this is Bishop Strickland's institute, the St. Philip Institute. He founded it to turn the Diocese of Tyler into a teaching diocese and to model how to establish a teaching structure in a diocese, how to implement it. So um, that is his vision. He has the Constitution on Teaching, um, which will be out soon in Audible, because he's read the whole thing out loud and recorded. Um, but we take that at the Institute under his direction. We take that and turn it into this real lived circumstances. We, te we bring the Catholic teaching to all seasons of life. And so we're very focused on each season of life and how to do what we're talking about now. Take the theological teachings and show people why that is critical to finding happiness in life, that you're, we're all supposed to be aiming for the will of God and the beatific vision to be united with God forever. And everything we do journeying through this life needs to be directed towards that. And when we choose to go some other way, which we can choose, it hurts. It's going to bring us pain and suffering. And if we do find pain and suffering, we can find our way back to happiness. So we have materials that, you know, that's the air we breathe and all the materials we make. We have the way of Christ for adults, formation for adults, which is a book and a teacher's manual that can be used in RCIA classes. But we also have this website we're getting ready to launch 
that has a three to five minute teaching video for each lesson and a quiz that you can take just to check and see if you're getting the things that are being taught because there's a lot of little things you got to learn about the theology before you can start to implement it. We have the Way of Christ for Teens book that Father Justin Braun wrote. Um, he's got the first year. He's going to do four years. He's working on the second one now. But it's a series of lessons to go through the CCD year um, for teens, teaching them about these things. The one he's working on now is about virtue. The one he worked on that's, that's out already is to whom shall we go? When you're struggling as a teen, to whom should you go to find your answers? Um, and we also have a website that goes with that that, again, has video resources and uh, discussion questions to help the teachers if they want to sometimes I, I teach a teen class I look it up on my phone and I'm doing the discussion questions or something um, and we have the way of the holy family the formation for baptism it's not just do this and this is how you get your child baptized it's really about bringing the whole family into the life of faith for this child committing as a family to raising the child in faith. And so our materials are not, we don't call them baptism prep. They're not just to prep you for baptism and then see ya. It's a, it's, there's, there's materials that go on after that to help the family understand why you need to bring the child to Mass. And uh, that those are three of the things that we've got so far. We've got this podcast, which you can subscribe to on iTunes and a number of other places uh, as well and you know they're an hour long so you can listen to them on your drive to work or while you're walking we have the way of christ videos you can listen to you can watch if you want to see something shorter um, and then we also have lots of events that we're putting on so we have a lot those are really limited to the diocese the other products are available outside the diocese but all the events that we hold um, are aimed at marriage formation and youth formation and adult formation in the faith. And uh, we even we have speakers that can go beyond the diocese and give talks on these things. So we're really getting off the ground this year. And uh, we, we have things that we do, products that we make, that we're hoping to get out there in the rest of the Catholic world and, and start, start the discussion more about why faith in the family is important, why uh, the Catholic faith needs to be taught in order to build civilization. So follow us online, send your questions to podcast at stphilipinstitute.org and listen to all of our podcast episodes. All right, Bishop, if you have any closing comments and then if you could please give us an apostolic blessing. Just would encourage any individual or family member that is watching to, to know that the Lord is with you. His grace is with your family. No family is too broken to be healed by his mercy and love. And especially at this time of year, we rejoice in that. So the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.